Thanks for joining us. The following is a presentation of Ignite Global Ministries and features the teaching of Pastor Ben Dixon. Pastor Ben has a vision of strengthening the church to impact the world. He serves as lead pastor at Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way, Washington. Hey, good morning, everybody. This is Pastor Ben Dixon, and welcome to The Daily Word. We're going to start today with the book of Mark. And as you know, the book of Mark has 16 chapters, which means we're going to have 16 sessions. Now, let me encourage you to be in your Bible every day, right? There's, this is so crucial for us as Christians to read the Word of God ourselves and do what I do. I'm just going to encourage you in discipleship to do what I do, which is just observe these passages You've seen my journal, and I just take notes. I write things down that are observations to me, things that I want to study more deeply because there's observation, interpretation, and application. Before we get to application, we got to make sure we understand what the Word of God is actually saying. And the way that we understand or interpret the Word is we've got to know who said it, who they said it to, and then how we can extrapolate principles that apply to us today. So I hope to do a lot of that with you as we start the book of Mark in chapter 1. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open to Mark chapter 1. Let's pray as we open the Word of God together, okay? Father, we do thank you for your Word, and I'm grateful for those that are joining me today. I pray that your Word would bless us, strengthen us, that your Spirit would fill us, Lord, we ask that you would guide us in your word and give us the revelation that we need to know you better and to live out the life that you've called us to live. So I thank you for everybody joining in. Would you richly and deeply bless and strengthen them in Jesus' mighty name, amen. Well, hey, let me start before we read the book of Mark, and we're, I'm only, honestly, I've got three or four pages of notes for me personally. And uh, that's my preparation as I spend about an hour and a half in the Word, and then I just share with you what I'm seeing or what I'm, what's interesting to me or the things that I'm thinking about and what I wrote down and observed from the Scripture. But what's interesting is that as we start it, I think it's important that we have a little bit of history or context. Now, I don't want to give you too much because we could spend an hour doing that, but the book of Mark most scholars agree was actually written by Mark. And in the Bible, you'll notice that Mark is also referenced in the book of Acts, chapter 12 and other chapters, as John Mark. And so his name was John Mark. And so this is the reference that you're going to find. All the early church fathers, most scholars believe that Mark was the one who wrote it. He was a close companion with Barnabas and Paul. We know from the book of Acts that Paul had a bit of conflict with John Mark, and so he actually didn't want him to come on one of their missionary journeys. But Barnabas and others, we believe also Peter was one that restored John Mark to relationship with Paul because we read about in the book of Colossians where the Apostle Paul asks for John Mark, which signifies that there was a restoration. Now, some believe this, and, and you might have heard this before, but some actually would consider the book of Mark or the, the gospel according to Mark as Peter's gospel because he was so close with Peter, and this is where he primarily got his information, not just the revelation from the Holy Spirit, but the historical setting, the stuff that he wasn't present for. Uh, many call this the gospel according to Peter because that's where Mark was gleaning from. And so he had a relationship with the Apostle Paul, he had a relationship with Barnabas, and he also had a relationship with Peter that was so vital that it reconnected him 
to Paul. And so we read about this. We know that there are many things uh, that are important when it comes to the book of Mark, primarily that he wrote to what would be a Roman audience, some Jews, primarily Gentiles. And the reason that many think that is because when you study the book of Mark, you find that he omits a lot of things that would be important to Jewish people, like the book of Luke and Matthew have genealogies. Mark doesn't mention any of that. In an expedited fashion, you'll read things like, and suddenly, and so the stories move very quickly. The, um, this narrative is, is set apart from all the other Gospels. It is one of the synoptic Gospels, so you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John is like 75 to 85% different from the other three. The synoptic Gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but Mark is primarily written, at least we believe, to more of a Gentile audience. And the other thing we think is that he, um, the way he spoke, he actually explained Jewish customs quite a bit more than the book of Matthew does. So there are little clues like that that make us believe that John Mark was writing this narrative so that Gentiles would better understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so those are just important things to note. He, we believe he is the author, and uh, we will find that this book is so rich in giving us hard-hitting stories of Jesus Christ when he ministered to people, and I believe it's going to minister to us as well. And so let's go ahead and read Mark chapter 1, verse 1 through 8 at least. Actually, I'm going to read to uh, verse 13, and here's what it says. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, and some translations actually say as it is written in the prophets, because this could be uh, an indication that this quotation was not just Isaiah chapter 40, but it could have also been Malachi chapter 3. Just a side note, and I know it's one of those things that I'm going to say, but it sometimes says, you might say in your translation, as it says in the prophets, but this one, New, New American Standard says, as it says in Isaiah the prophet, this is a quotation from Isaiah 40, behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, and all the country of Judea was going out to him, and all the people of Jerusalem, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Now that was publicly. Can you imagine this massive amount of people? And all of these people who are getting baptized are publicly confessing their sins. Quite a sight. Verse 6, John was clothed with camel's hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist, and his diet was locusts and wild honey. And he was preaching and saying, After me one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Verse 9, in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opening and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. And a voice came out of the heavens, you are my beloved son, in you I am well pleased. Immediately the Spirit, now notice verse 12, it says immediately. You're going to hear that word many, many times in the book of Mark. That's how fast moving this book is, it just goes right in to the very story that Mark wanted us to read about, to know about. Immediately the Spirit impelled him or compelled him to go into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan, and he was with wild beasts, and the angels were ministering to him. And the next section, verse 14 through 28, is where 
Um, Jesus preaches in Galilee, and he also calls some of his disciples, and we're just going to leave that out for now. And I, I just want to talk to you just a little bit about what we read here in Mark chapter 1, verse 1 through 8 in particular, and then I'm going to reference verses uh, 9 through 13, because I think it's really important as we talk about what is taking place. So the gospel here opens up saying, in the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, we know that the word gospel means good news. And I want to say something here, because when we talk about the good news, a lot of times we have what's called a Pauline theology. Now, whether you're Reformed or not, I'm Pentecostal, and so I appreciate and respect my Reformed brothers and sisters. But a lot of times they'll start with Pauline theology rather than it's starting with the story of Christ. Now this saying, starting with the good news of Jesus, Mark starts us with John the Baptist in this promise that we read about in Isaiah chapter 40. This promise was of Israel's restoration. Now obviously, Israel was longing for their Messiah to come to them. We know the rest of the story and the gospel narrative and so on that Israel fundamentally rejected Christ, primarily rejected Christ, not all Jews, obviously the disciples were Jewish. Many of the, all the first followers of Jesus were Jewish. But I'm just saying, as a whole, the nation did not receive him as their Messiah. But Israel was longing for, waiting for, expecting their Messiah. There was a promise of the Messiah to come to restore Israel to what God had promised and had intended. So Isaiah chapter 40 actually speaks of one who's going to come in advance, one who's going to come like an envoy and prepare the way for the coming Messiah. And so Mark starts his gospel all the way back to the promise of Israel's restoration and how John the Baptist needed to come. And so it takes a little bit of time to explain who John the Baptist was and what John the Baptist did, because he has a really important role in the gospel narrative. And so we've got to realize that, that here we have this quotation in verse 2, from Isaiah chapter 40, it says, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. And so obviously it details how John the Baptist lived in the wilderness. It details that he ate locusts and wild honey, which was a diet in the wilderness. This also spoke of John in such a way where John was like in those days, in ancient times, when a king was going to come, they would send an envoy that would proclaim his coming. John was that for Jesus. Jesus was John's cousin, humanly speaking. And so John did not necessarily know all of that in advance. He knew he was called by God from his birth because other gospels fill in where John was filled with the Holy Spirit in his mother's womb and he leaped and she experienced that leaping where it was like the joy of the Holy Spirit. She knew that some, that John, who was in her womb, was special because the angel of the Lord had spoken to his parents. And so John was, in a sense, going to help fulfill the promise of the Messiah coming. He was the forerunner. He was the messenger. He was the envoy who would declare the coming Messiah. And this is really important. And so a lot of the details surrounding John would also therefore be important. And it says here, like we're looking at verse 2 and 3, uh, John was a, a messenger divinely called by God. Um, verse 4, John was called from his birth as the forerunner, which I've already mentioned. But it's important to notice when you read, for example, John chapter 3 and verse 30, that we know John was 
an Old Testament prophet. John, in the book of John, chapter 3, verse 30, John the Baptist makes this statement and he says, I must decrease so that he, Jesus, must increase. Sometimes people will say that or they'll reference that and they'll say, I must decrease so that Jesus might increase. It's kind of a weird statement for us to say because what John meant, he was representing the prophets of the Old Testament. He was representing an era. He was representing a dispensation. He was the last Old Testament prophet. Jesus was the first of the new covenant. He was the firstborn among many brethren, the Bible says. It says that he was the prophet. Now all ministry is patterned after him, and sons and daughters can be ushered into the kingdom by receiving of his death, burial, and resurrection. So we know that John, when he said, I must decrease, he wasn't just saying him as a person or his ministry was getting too much recognition. He was saying, I and what I represent must decrease so that he, Jesus, and the new covenant must increase. So we have old covenant, new covenant. John was the last prophet representing the old covenant. Jesus was the prophet, the son of God, God the son, who was representing, ushering in the new covenant. So John was the messenger. John was preparing the way. John represented the last of the old, and he was ushering in the new. And we read here that uh, he appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, we've got to know this, okay? This baptism that John was inviting people into. He was in the Jordan River about 20 miles outside of Judea. So all of Judea, all of the people of Jerusalem, which is not necessarily um, uh, this a definitive claim, like every person in Jerusalem and Judea came out. It was just, it was re- describing an event. S- tens of thousands of people came out to see John to the point where Roman soldiers came out. We see in other gospel accounts and they were, they were onlookers and observers. What's going on here? We know that Pharisees came out, religious leaders came out, and they were all looking at this site because so many people came out to be baptized by John and confess their sins out loud. This truly is a revival, right? So we know that Israel, Israelites, would have gone to the temple, they would have given the priest a sacrifice, and they had what was called a mikvah, and in order for them to enter into purification ritual, they would go down into this mikvah, and they would basically be baptized. It was part of the purification ritual. That was typical for them. That would be kind of a baptism, so to speak, of what they would experience. Now, if you were not a Jewish person, if you were not an Israelite, you could be proselytized. They were not very evangelistic, but there was a way that you could acknowledge Yahweh as the truth. And what you would do is you would have this one-time baptism, one-time washing, where you would go into the mikvah and you would be baptized and you would recognize Yahweh as the truth and Israel's God as the true God. That would happen for non-Jewish people. So this baptism that John the Baptist was offering was offensive to many Jewish people. Why? Because it's not something that they would have to do. John was baptizing them, immersing them into water for the remission of their sins to prepare the way for Christ to come. This was a baptism of repentance. You need to turn from your sins. The kingdom of God is coming. The king is coming. And so this is what John was doing. We read about it. He was preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So those that were Israelites 
it, if they got past the offensive part, this was very powerful for them to acknowledge and to confess their sins as they were being immersed and baptized in the water, in the Jordan River, nonetheless. That's why if you go with us to Israel, we actually do baptisms in the Jordan River, or maybe you've already gone and you've actually been baptized in water. It's just it's just one of those nostalgic things because that's where Jesus was baptized, that's where John the Baptist was baptizing people. And we know that this was such a significant moment of history because this is not normal. This was not any kind of normal baptism that they were used to. John was doing a new thing. He was ushering in something that was promised, something that was prophesied about, and we know it was the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And so this baptism that we read about is really important. Now, I want you to think about all of Judea, all of Jerusalem coming out to see him. Those that would walk 20 miles or maybe even more, they're walking mile after mile on foot. It's an all-day walk or half-a-day walk at minimum, and they're out there and they're watching this. And as they're watching this, the Spirit of God is touching people's lives, touching people's hearts to do the very thing that they're seeing other people enter into. People are starting to believe, hope, and expect that the Messiah is soon in coming. I, and you can imagine, right, for years and years and years, Israel believes the Messiah is going to come. Roman oppression comes upon them for many years, and so they settle into sort of this religious norm. And I think the hope and the expectation of the Messiah coming starts to fleet. This thing isn't so, it's not so close in their mind and in their heart. That Yeah, there's this expectation, but what really begins to brew is we don't want Roman to oppress us anymore, which is really that recipe for how they were thinking in terms of their eschatology. That's why the disciples would ask many times, is it now that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Acts chapter 1 and verse 6. That's what the disciples would continue to ask Jesus because their eschatology really got reduced down to overthrowing Roman oppression. The salvation that they were looking for was actually more temporary than eternal. And we'll talk more about that later as we look more into this book, but it's really important for us to kind of realize this. Now, when we talk about the baptism of repentance or baptism in general, we want to notice verse 8 where John says, I baptized you with water. That's after he's baptized all of these people. And he did that for the remission of sins. He says, but Jesus, or sorry, I'm saying Jesus, the Messiah, he will come and baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, this is something that's really important. I'm going to say a lot of things here, okay? First of all, there are many baptisms. The word for baptism in the Bible is not a holy word. It's a description word. It's baptizo, and there's different variations of it. It's a Greek word, which means to immerse to fully saturate, to completely cover. That's why when we talk about baptism in water, you go all the way under the water. Now, I know that there are other traditions in Christianity and Christendom that sprinkle babies and do all that, or they have baby baptisms, but we know from Scripture the reason that I and our movement and most Protestants would hold to a baptism that's a full immersion in water is because, number one, we see it in Scripture— Number two, that's what the word baptism means. It means to be fully immersed. So the word baptism does not necessarily define what is happening, but it describes the event, but it doesn't necessarily describe which event. It describes, it's a description word. You're being fully immersed into what? Well, in this case, into water for the remission of sins. But then John says, but you will receive a new baptism. He will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. We read about that that in the book of Acts. Why am I saying this? 
Because whenever you read the Bible and you read, for example, the, the word baptism, you've got to be very careful that if you pull out a concordance and every time you read the word baptism, you think it's referring to the same exact event. It's not. We see it right here. There are two baptisms that are talked about right in this passage. One is baptized in water for the remission of sins. And John says, but there's something else. You'll be baptized in the Holy Spirit. The book of Matthew chapter 3 verse 15 says you'll be baptized in water and Jesus, the Messiah, the Messiah is going to come and baptize you with fire. Well, what's that? That's a baptize, That's a baptism of judgment. So let me go ahead and describe this. Number one, Jesus actually tells his disciples, Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 20, the great commission. Jesus is going to ascend to be with the Father after his resurrection. He tells his disciples, I want you to baptize, make, all, make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. If you read those verses closely, you will see that the terms there, baptize them in the name of the Father and in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. Now, name would represent nature, character, and virtue. Baptize them into the Father. Baptize them into the Son. Baptize them into the Holy Spirit. This is describing something that is happening, and it is not just a statement that is supposed to be made. When we baptize someone in water, and we just say, and I say it, I say in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I do that, but I know that that's not necessarily what was meant when Jesus told his disciples to make disciples and baptize them. So baptism is immersion, okay? So there's several different baptisms. Ephesians chapter 4 says that we were all baptized into one body. And sometimes people will say that the baptism with the Holy Spirit is when you're baptized into the body of Christ. Well, that's true and not true. The Holy Spirit baptizes us in power. The Holy Spirit baptizes us into the body of Christ. But all of these things are not the same thing. There are many, many baptisms because all it means is to be immersed. The word baptism is not a holy word. It means to dip like you would take your chicken and baptize it in barbecue sauce because we like barbecue sauce and we like chicken. But it's just describing something that is happening. It is not necessarily the thing in and of itself, okay? So, baptism in water, baptism in the Holy Spirit, baptism in the body of Christ, it's describing something that's taking place. Don't pull out your concordance and read the word baptism and think every time it says baptism, it's describing the same thing. It's not. It's just describing an event that is transpiring. And that's why we can read this passage of Scripture and know that he's talking about two different baptisms. And I just want to mention, okay, I want to mention this. There's a couple things. Number one is every person needs to be baptized in water for the remission of sins. When you're baptized in water, according to Romans 6 and other passages, we are not saying that the baptism is repentance. We're saying that the baptism is indicative of a repentance that has already taken place in the heart. When we are baptized in water, we are saying that we already believe in Jesus. It is not believing in Jesus. It is signifying an indicative of something that has already taken place. I have already believed in Jesus. So when I go under the water, it is death to my old self. I come out of the water it represents resurrection life, which Jesus promises. It is very powerful because the principalities and the powers and the rulers of this dark world, not God who owns the earth, but to those who are in power over those who are unregenerate, it is prophesying to them, I belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I am a new creation in Christ. We are in these acts of faith, taking a stand and moving into Christ. And we are saying it to everyone and everything all around us. This is who we are. This is what has happened. This is what has taken place. This is what we believe. So baptism is powerful. Every single time that we take a step of faith and we obey the word of God, God does something powerful. And we see that from scripture. So being baptized in water is very, very important, but it is for the remission of sins. It is indicative of something that has already taken place in our lives, and it is an obedience to Jesus. But then John says here in verse 8, he says, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And what we're talking about here is we're talking about being immersed in the power of the Holy Spirit. This would be, a, if you look back in the Old Testament, whenever somebody was baptized with the Holy Spirit, we would see that power and anointing would come upon them in order for them to fulfill whatever God had called them to do. You see that in the prophets, they would be immersed with the power of the Holy Spirit and they would prophesy. prophesy. You would see this with like Samson, the Holy Spirit would come upon him and he would be strong. And so whatever they needed would come from the Holy Spirit and it would come as they were immersed with his power. And so this is so important for us to grasp, for us to understand that when Jesus came, and we see this in the book of Acts chapter 2, that all of those believers, 120 people, were waiting in the upper room as in obedience to the Father, or in obedience to Jesus, because he said, go into Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father, which was the baptism with the Holy Spirit, all they knew in the reference that they had was the immersion of power that they read about, the anointing in the Old Testament. And actually, this is what God does. God will immerse us with power. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 tells us why. So that we would be a witness of Jesus in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. In other words, for us to be a witness of Jesus Christ, we need to be baptized with the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is really important for us to know. Again, several baptisms. John is referring in verse 8 to the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Jesus in Acts chapter 1 verse 6 through 8 tells us the baptism with the Holy Spirit is soon in coming. We see in Acts chapter 2 the baptism with the Holy Spirit does come. And as a result of that, they are baptized, immersed with His power, and they immediately go outside and begin to witness and speak with other languages. The supernatural occurrence happens where they can communicate in these other languages. So Pentecostals usually believe that when a person is baptized with the Holy Spirit, they speak with a spiritual language or they speak with other tongues. Now, my belief is that as a Pentecostal is that, you know, 70, 80% of the time when a person is baptized with the Holy Spirit, they speak in spiritual language. But there are plenty of times where people do get baptized, immersed into the power of the Holy Spirit, and they don't speak in spiritual language. But something happens. So we call this initial evidence. There is evidence or immediate evidence. Something happens as a result of a person being baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now we'll talk about that again in about 15 weeks. But I just wanted to note for the record, that John is actually referencing something that Jesus later describes in Acts chapter 1 before he ascends to be with the Father. Now, the question for you and I is for us as believers is, are we baptized with the Holy Spirit? Have we asked God to baptize us with his power? I'm not asking if you have the Holy Spirit. This is a false notion, this idea that if you don't speak in tongues or you're not baptized with the Holy Spirit, that you're not a Christian. You're a Christian when you believe upon Jesus and the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. 
But him coming to live inside of you is not the baptism with the Holy Spirit. That's the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit where you're regenerated. You and I are made new. We have the Holy Spirit. The baptism with the Holy Spirit is where he immerses us in his power, not his person. When we get saved and we are regenerated, that's when we have the Holy Spirit come dwell inside of us, live within us, and we are alive in Christ. The baptism or the power, the immersion, is where we receive his power in order to be a witness, Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. And so this is really important. John speaks about something that is going to come. Now, let's go ahead and look in verses 9 through 13 because he gives us a pattern to follow, which, by the way, is Jesus Christ himself. Look at this. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and he was baptized by John in the Jordan. Now think about that. Jesus was baptized in the water. Remember what the baptism was about. This was for the remission of sins. And you might say, well, Ben, why did Jesus get baptized? Well, Matthew chapter 3 and verse 15 tells us that Jesus was baptized. John did not want to baptize Jesus And he said, you must baptize me. And Jesus said, you must do this to fulfill all righteousness. Now, I want you to catch this. Jesus was not baptized for himself. He identified himself with sinful humanity. Now, catch this. As Jesus was baptized, he was telling humanity, I identify with you. And I, like it says in Isaiah 53, will bear your sin. The Bible says in I believe it's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he became sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Think about that. Matthew 3.15, it says, I must do this to fulfill all righteousness. John, baptize me in water. I must identify with sinful humanity, which is the reason that I came. Isaiah 53, I will bear your sin. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. He took our sin in his life, his death, and his resurrection so that those who believe on him, it might be imputed to them, imparted to them, his righteousness. So he took something from us so that we could have something from him. Come on, that's a a powerful picture. So when Jesus was baptized, he was being baptized for sinful humanity. This was something he he identified with us. He did not sin. He did not need to repent. He didn't do it for that reason. But he, he did this for us, just like everything else that he did. And it fulfilled all righteousness, that you and I could become the righteousness of God in Christ. Everything that Jesus did in his life, or his birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection, this is a pattern for us. Now, catch this. Jesus was born of the Holy Spirit. Isaiah chapter 7, we know that Jesus was born of a virgin. And so the Holy Spirit overshadowed, we read about this in the book of Luke, it's prophesied in the book of Isaiah, the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary, she had not been with a man. And so Jesus was born of the Holy Spirit. The seed of God entered into the womb of a woman, and so she gave birth to the Son of God. I mean, that's a powerful picture The virgin birth is what we call that. And anybody that messes with the virgin birth does not know what they're talking about because Jesus could not be born through the line of Adam. He was not just a man who was anointed. He was God the Son. He was fully God and he was fully man when he was born. Now, he didn't reveal himself in all of his godhood, but he was fully God and he was fully man. 
And we cannot be mistaken about that. This is He could not be born through the line of Adam because the line of Adam was cursed, plus he would just merely be a man that was anointed by God. He was so much more than that. He was God. And so he was, he was conceived, he was born of the Spirit of God. And in this moment, in chapter 1, verses 9 through 13, he was baptized with the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, what, what am I saying? This is a pattern for us. We must be born of the Spirit. That's what it means to be born again. When we believe upon Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit. And we must be baptized with the Holy Spirit to be a witness of Jesus. Being born of the Holy Spirit means that we're regenerated, we're made new, we're right with God, we are now the righteousness of God in Christ, we receive of His resurrection and therefore have resurrection life and we will live forever. That's what it means to be saved, that's what it means to be born again. We believe, we put our faith and our trust and our hope in Jesus' sacrifice, His resurrection, and therefore we have resurrection life. We repent and we turn from not just our old ways and our old sins, but we, ret- we repent from our self-willed ways and following ourselves, so that we can follow Jesus. He's the one that made us. He's the one that created us. He's the one that restores and redeems us. Our sin is leading us down a road to an eternity without God. But our Savior will lead us down the road into an eternity restored in right relationship with God. So Jesus was baptized in water. And listen to this. Immediately coming up out of the water, he's baptized in water by John, he saw the heavens opening and the spirit like a dove descending upon him and a voice came out of heaven, you are my beloved son and you I am well pleased. And then it says immediately the spirit compelled him to go out into the wilderness. The Bible says that it was like a dove, the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus. Now this is where we get this reference to what needs to happen in our lives as well. We must be born of the spirit. Jesus paves a way for that. Jesus was born of the Spirit, obviously in a very different way because he was God and man, but he wants us to be born again and we must be baptized with the Holy Spirit. This is what God wants to do in each one of us. He wants us to be born of the Spirit and baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the pattern in every way. He identified with sinful humanity. He lived a sinless life. His life had to be perfect because he was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He was the perfect lamb of God. He was the Passover lamb, perfect lamb. That Hebrews says takes away our sins once and for all, those that believe upon him. And I just simply want to close. I could continue to talk more and more about all of this, but I simply want to close by just talking to you about something that is very precious, which we're going to talk more about here. But first of all, are you and I born again? Have we followed the Savior into the baptism waters? Have we given our life to Jesus, number one, because He is the Savior of the world. He is the sinless Lamb of God. He lived a sinless life. He died in our place. He rose from the dead, proving that He was the Son of God, and says those who believe on Him, according to Romans 10, will have eternal life. It says in John 3, 16, many passages we know that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life this sin destroys humanity it destroyed us we walked away from god and we need we need a savior to bring us back to the father jesus is that savior jesus is that messiah jesus is the anointed one jesus did everything on our behalf and we read about that from the very beginning of the gospel the gospel here in mark starts with john proclaiming that he is coming 
Then Jesus comes, he's baptized to identify with us. Everything he did, he identified with us. He spoke to us. He lived among us. He lived a sinless life so that, because we couldn't. He died in our place because the wages of sin is death. He rose again three days later to prove he was the Son of God and prophesied to us that in the same way that he rose from the dead, so those who believe upon him will also rise from the dead. We will receive, according to 1 Corinthians 16, a new body and a new na- this nature that we have that's given to us when we're born again, that will be fully manifested. As it says in the book of John, it says, 1 John, it says that we will be known and we will know just as he is. We will be like Christ. We will be like him. He came to show us a way and he came to show us the way. He came to show us how to be. Have you been born again? Have you given your heart, your life to Jesus Christ? If you have, amen. Praise the Lord. The second question we read about here in verse 8 and we also read about in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Have you been baptized with the Holy Spirit? You say, Ben, how would I know? You would know. Have you been filled with his power? Are you a witness of Jesus? And while we're going to talk about this in a lot of other weeks, I think it's so important to bring this up right now. John brought it up. Jesus brought it up. The disciples experienced it in Acts chapter 2. There's eight other occurrences in the book of Acts where they were baptized. They were immersed into power. A lot of what the book says It calls us to be a witness of Jesus. It calls to be bright and burning lamps. It calls us to evangelize. It calls us to make disciples. There's no way in the world that we can fulfill the mission of Jesus Christ, the ministry of Christ, without the power of the Holy Spirit. And what I'm asking from you is, are you filled with power? Well, listen, Ephesians chapter 5 tells us this, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that means be continually filled. That means every day of our life, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. But there's one day where that begins. And we're not just waiting for Jesus to pull us out of this world and someday he's just going to come back and then we're just holding on until that day. Yeah, Jesus is going to return, but what does he want us to do now? He wants us to be his witnesses. He wants us to share of his good news. He wants us to talk to people about his life, his ministry, his redemption, his restoration. Doesn't the world need restoration and redemption? How will the world find it without Jesus? To believe in scripture, no matter what issue that we're talking about, in today's current climate, it feels like people are bringing up sin and sin issues, but the answer is not always Jesus. The answer is not always Jesus. And so what happens is we medicate our world. We give a little bit of this, we get a a little bit of that, we say this, we say that, it soothes. But you know what? Medication is not the cure. Jesus came to bring the cure. He is not the medication, ladies and gentlemen. He is the cure. And that's what he brings. That's what he offers. And nothing less. He is the cure. You and I are the bringers of the cure. That's what we are. Don't feel shame. Don't feel bad. No matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter where you come from, if you believe in Jesus, you can be filled with the power of God and you can be the bringer of the cure because you know what other people need to know. You have what everyone else needs, and it's him. It's absolutely him. It's his message. It's his ministry. It's his life. It's his restoration. It's redemption. This is what God does in us. This is what God brings through us, and this is why we need to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You say, Ben, well, I don't know. I don't speak in tongues. You and I, we'll have to spend more time in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 to talk about tongues, But let me just encourage you, ask to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Say, God, immerse me with your power. I need to be filled with power. You want to overcome sin and temptation? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
You want to release spiritual gifts in your life? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. You want a victory over things that come against you? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. You want to share the gospel with other people? Maybe you're afraid to do that? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. God does not command us to do something in our own strength. He commands us to go out and make Him known in the strength of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 6.10 says, Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Well, what power is that? The power of the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to pray for us today that you and I would be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, it's just like a good Pentecostal to land on 13 verses and somehow come back around to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I can't help it. It got brought up. I'm bringing it up. But I I know that revival is where people get baptized with the Holy Spirit. Make no mistake. When you cry out for revival, what you're asking for is you're asking for people to get baptized in the Holy Spirit. Because when we're baptized with the Holy Spirit, we see revival. Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 18, Acts chapter 10. Read the book of Acts and tell me what happened when revival occurred. They were baptized with the Holy Spirit. That's what we're asking for. We're asking for a sovereign outpouring of God upon this land for people, those that name the name of Christ, to be thoroughly saturated with the power of God's Spirit. Because then and only then, will we be witnesses of Christ. That's when a Jesus people movement will occur and Jesus' name will be on our lips. Jesus' nature will be in our hearts where we're not just thanking him for the forgiveness of sins and heaven when we die, but we are actually saturating the community with what saturates us. And that's what it means to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. He'll release that baptism through the gift of spiritual language. We'll begin to speak with other languages. You say, well, Ben, I haven't had that happen. Well, you can He'll release boldness. He'll release power to be a witness, to share about Jesus. This fear will be broken off of us, and that's why we need to be filled every day. Maybe it's been a long time and you feel dry. Well, guess what? Today's the day. By faith, we receive what God does, and no other way. There's no striving. There's nothing else. We just repent if we're living in some cycle of sin or we're living outside of God's will, and we know better, we just repent. We turn from that sin, and we turn towards God, and we say, fill us with the Holy Spirit. Let's just do that right now. Father, we thank you today for your word, and we know that your word is powerful to change our lives. And so I ask right now that you would baptize us, immerse us fresh in the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray that anybody watching this right now that is not initially baptized in the Holy Spirit, that you would right here and right now, that you would baptize them in your power. I pray, God, anybody that hasn't experienced the release of a spiritual language, Lord, that you would release the gift of tongues in their life right now. I pray where that's been a strive in someone's life and they just don't know why it hasn't happened, Lord, would you just release them to experience what you have for them right now? Release a boldness to share about Jesus right now. Thank you, Lord. Release signs, wonders, and miracles that accompany us sharing about you and your life and your redemption with others. I pray it would not just be our articulation but it would be signs, wonders, and miracles. I pray that for me. I pray that for my family. I pray that for Northwest Church. I pray that for anybody that's watching that's part of the body of Christ. Lord, I ask that you would cause us to be so filled with you that other people would know about Jesus because of our life. You gave your life so that we could make your life known, so that people could be restored and redeemed. Fill us now with the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray we receive that now by faith. And I pray that you would do a mighty work in each one of us. We thank you for it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Hey, God bless you. Thanks for listening. 
If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written.